You're listening to episode 121 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is how family feuds affect travel plans. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things, or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is how family feuds affect travel plans. Now, many of us have watched the TV show Family Feud, and we've seen families go up against each other, answering random trivia questions, and sometimes turning on their own family when they fail to answer the question correctly or how they would, and their answer would have been the correct one, etc. But In all reality, it's lighthearted games, but sometimes family feuds can cause lots of drama, lots of tension, and sometimes it gets as dramatic as Romeo and Juliet, where two families come up against each other and cause such division that a couple that Romeo and Juliet from two different families fall in love And murder and suicide end up happening because of the family drama. While I pray that this is certainly not the level and extent of any family tensions felt on your road trips or adventures, I know that family tension and family feuds are just a part of the uncomfortability of travel. My family and I love to do camping trips. But in the midst of spending all this time packing, my mom always had a full-page list of all the things we needed, and my dad always had the mentality, we'll just get it when we're there. And sometimes the little difference in that could cause so much tension that by the time we got on the road, one more bickering comment, one more frustrated word, and suddenly we'd find ourselves turning around, pulling back into our driveway, and unpacking everything that we had packed. Again, I pray this isn't you, and I pray that you have the freedom to adventure without family feuds, but ignoring that they do exist is a problem. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Laban and how he ends up creating family feuds that affect others' travel plans. And we're going to be pouring over Genesis chapter 30 and 31. So I'm excited to dive into those things. But before I do, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources, tools to connect with us on social media, tools for your own family adventures. And of course, we have awesome retreats coming up, including one in Punta Cana. This is a chance for us to connect with other Christians who love to travel, get to explore part of the Dominican Republic, and dive into God's word together. So if that sounds like something interesting to you, please go to our website, christiantravelers.net forward slash retreats. There will be more information there. So, Without further ado, we're going to dive into Genesis chapters 30 and 31. Now, 
I encourage you, honestly, to go back to Genesis 24 and read all the way through to this. Just one chapter a night and you'll gain so much more insight. But quick recap of family history. Sarah and Abraham got married and in their older years, they gave birth to their only son named Isaac. Isaac married Rebecca, sister of Laban. Isaac and Rebecca had twins, Jacob and Esau. They wrestled in the womb, they wrestled outside of the womb, and they wrestled over birthright and blessing. Jacob went to go find a wife and ended up being tricked by Laban, father of Rachel and Leah, into marrying both of the sisters. And that is where we find ourselves today, where Jacob has served for 14 years to his uncle Laban. And that's where we find ourselves today. Jacob has served 14 years to his brother Laban and has married both of these sisters by trickery. There is tension between the two sisters because Leah has given birth to a lot more children than Rachel. However, the Lord has opened both of their wombs and between the two of them and Rachel and Leah's servants who they gave to their husband as surrogate mothers, they have a total of 12 children. So imagine feeding 12 mouths and working for a deceitful uncle and father-in-law who has caused some high tensions. And this uncle, his name is Laban. Laban has watched over the last 14 years as he has been blessed with 12 amazing grandsons. And Jacob has brought prosperity to their herds. They have multiplied under his watch, thanks to the Lord, and he has seen some amazing miracles happen. Eventually, Jacob realizes it's time for me to set out on my own, in the sense that he wants to provide for his own family. He's completed the 14 years, and he's paid off their dowries multiple times over by serving Laban. Now he wants to begin to provide for his own family on his own, to not rely on his father-in-law. And, and Laban says, you can name your wages, whatever you want. But Jacob says, he says, don't give me anything for my wages. Instead, he wants to pass through the flocks today and find every speckled, spotted, and black sheep and spotted and speckled goat, and that will be his wages. Essentially, in their time, it was really important to have pure, clean, perfect animals without spots, without speckles, to be cleansed. I mean, we learn later on, God starts to put into these practices that, you know, if there's sacrifices to be given to God, then they should be without flaw. These aren't totally in practice at this time. There are sacrifices, but the requirements aren't clearly outlined by God yet. But the idea still stands that anything flawed would be speckled, striped, and Laban agrees to it. But immediately he sends his herds uh, to separate out the purebreds from those with the spots and the speckles. And he sends them on a three-day journey out into the middle of nowhere. And that way, when Jacob goes to find these from the flocks, he ends up with nothing. His wages end up being zero. So Laban has 
caused trickery. And in the process of this, while he was talking to Jacob, he also mentioned that he realized all the blessings he's received since Jacob has been here, all this fruitfulness, all these multitudes of his herds. He realized that he had found favor in the sight of the Lord through divination, which means he basically went, um, in scripture it says, like, we're not to go do witchcraft, we're not to um, have our fortunes told, because that's a form of demon worship. So while this, again, was something before God put all these laws in place, we see right here that Laban is definitely not just worshiping God the Father, God the Son, God the Trinity. He's not worshiping that God. He's worshiping false idol gods, including demons, to have them tell his fortune and explain why he's been so blessed. And it's because of Jacob, and he doesn't want Jacob to leave. He wants Jacob here because he knows the blessings are while Jacob's here. So he goes, he plays another trick, and as we know with family feuds, that's not going to settle well. That's not going to end well, but Jacob uses his wisdom and he decides he's going to start mating the best in the flock. So he uh, begins to mate any of the sheep and goats that are the strongest. So he begins to take sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them and expose the white of the sticks. And he set these peeled sticks in front of the flocks and in front of the troughs and in the watering places where the animals came to drink so that when they were breeding, they were breeding and seeing spots and speckles and stripes. And any of the weaker animals, he'd breed them off to... He'd, he'd have them breed away from these spots and speckles. And while now we know scientifically that's not how it works... He at least recognized that breeding the strong together meant that the youthful one would be strong and the weaker together would mean that the, the newborn would be weaker. So in the end and over time, it begins to change so that any of this new flock that was being born that was healthy and strong was speckled and spotted and all of Laban's flock is really weak. So now there's new tension and... Jacob begins to realize that Laban's not looking at him the same way as anymore. And Laban's kids definitely aren't either. They're starting to distrust him and get upset because Jacob's stealing their wealth. He's stealing their prosperity in their eyes. So the family feud continues. And in chapter 31... Jacob receives a command from the Lord. The Lord tells him, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And Jacob recognizes that this is a command. This isn't something to dilly-dally on and go if and when. Instead, he recognizes the threat of his in-laws and that they won't let him go, that they'll try and steal his prosperity. And so he has his wives, Rachel and Leah, sneak out into the field and speak with him. And he says, the Lord has told me to go. Are you with me? And they basically say that Laban has squandered their dowries and has not provided for them. He treats them as foreigners in their own home. And they're like, we have nothing to do with our father anymore. We're ready to leave. Which no parent, 
I think, really wants their child to have that view of them. But Laban has let this family feud build. He has been so selfish and greedy that his own children kind of despise him as a father and almost disown him in this in this essence. And they have 12 kids that they want to take care of, but their own mental, physical selves have not been taken care of because of how their father has treated them. So you have to imagine that these 12 kids have also their own issues as well. And so they get up, they take all of their things, and they make it three days before the news gets to Laban that his kids and his grandkids have just left. And so another seven days go by, and finally Laban catches up with them. But on his way there, I can just imagine he's angry. He he feels wronged in this scenario. He's not taking credit for his own mistakes. He's ready to point the finger at Jacob and say, you've wronged me. You've stolen my kids and my grandkids and my property and blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on. But God intercedes and he stops him before the night before he, he approaches Jacob and he says, if you do anything or say anything against Jacob that would cause harm, it's not going to end well for you, Laban. So when Laban approaches, he doesn't perfectly hold his tongue. He still lets it known that he feels wrong in this, that he feels like Jacob has stolen this and that it, it really is his property. It's his kids and his grandkids and his herds. Um, he hasn't treated it as though the husband and wife are one flesh, that they are their own people and they need to provide for themselves. And he treats it in a poor way. But he knows that God has has put a little stopper in it. And the thing that he chooses to present, though, as an issue is that he accuses Jacob of stealing his gods, meaning that he doesn't just worship the father god. He worships these false idols, these little statues that represent things that apparently matter to him. And the person who actually stole it is Rachel. She stole it, and we don't know. Maybe she stole it to worship them, or maybe she stole it as vengeance against her father. Either way, family feud, and still not good. But Jacob says, no one in my group stole from you. And if they did, we'll murder them. You know, like that will be the consequence. Now, he doesn't know that Rachel was the one who stole. And so Laban starts digging through the tents. He goes through tent one, tent two. And finally, he gets to Rachel's tent. And she has taken the gods, put them into the sacks of her camel, and she's sitting on them. Somehow they must have been set up in a way that you could take them off the camel and, like, sit on them as a stool. And she apologizes to her father and says that it's that time of the month, and so she's not going to get up and move. And as a result, Jacob ends up furious because Laban hasn't found these gods. Laban's accused him of something that didn't really happen, at least to his understanding, and he gets really mad, and so they end up creating a pact in Arabic and in Hebrew that says, like, this is the witness tower, the watchtower, and that they build these rocks up and basically say, you won't cross this line to harm me. 
Jacob can't cross the line to harm Laban, and Laban can't cross the line to harm Jacob or their families. And so they end up making this covenant, and Laban makes this covenant to his gods, plural, and Jacob makes it in fear of the God of his father and grandfather, of Abraham and of Isaac. And as a result, we recognize that Jacob's faith has really grown. He has a lot bigger trust for the Lord and a lot more reverence for him. So they end up having a feast and parting ways. And in the morning, Laban kisses his grandkids goodbye and they go separate ways. This topic of how family feuds affect travel plans. Well, here we see that this family feud caused his own kids to want to leave him, to disregard family and tradition, and like sneak away in the middle of the night. How Laban's actions caused him not to own his own mistakes and instead want to throw around accusations, which they came to a peace treaty in that moment, but it didn't heal the wound. They still continued on their separate ways. But what we see also is that God honored Jacob in all of this. He honored Jacob, giving him a command to return home, an excuse and a reason to leave the land of Laban and to prosper in the midst of it. And the Lord showed to him that the reason that there were so many spotted and speckled sheep and goats was because God was watching out for him. He showed him through a vision. And we see that God protected Jacob, who chose to respond to God's call by stopping Laban and warning him when he was a day away that if he threatened or harmed Jacob in any way, then he would be in trouble for it. So God is the peace in the midst of this feud. And if you have ever had family tension on a trip or a family feud that either caused you to run from one another or caused what you thought would be this permanent relationship damage, I want to tell you that God is far greater. He may give you an out in the moment, but he's also working on healing that wound. He is creating a way for you that is full of his love and his promises, and it is your job to rest and rely on him, to be open to his word and his teaching, but acknowledge that while others may have sinful intentions or wrongful doings, you can still serve faithfully. Jacob took a lot of abuse under Laban. Typically when a shepherd or shepherdess lost an animal because of a wolf or other predator, it was the responsibility of the owner of the herds to, to take that fall. But Jacob had gone and any time that a sheep, you know, was harmed, he gave up one of his own and gave it up to Laban instead. He took the fall. He took the financial hit. He took it all. And a lot of this is leading example to the sacrifices that Jesus makes for our own sins. Whether we like it or not, we are the Laban in this story. We are the ones whose actions harm others. And we look so selfishly at ourselves that sometimes we cause people to leave our lives so that they can focus on Christ instead of us. And 
this is your call as a traveler to recognize that, to admit your faults, to go against the ways that Laban had, who reached for other gods and other things that he put before the Lord. And mirror Jacob, who put trust in God, who wasn't selfish and prideful, though we know his past, and if you want to go back, you can listen to the last two episodes. He made mistakes, but in this season, he matured greatly, and he put his trust in the Lord. And as travelers, we need to be mindful of how our actions reflect on others. Sometimes we go into circumstances thinking that our own cultures and our own attitudes are ways that others should accept. But we need to be open to the fact that God created the whole world and um, there isn't one way that all things have to happen. There's the Ten Commandments. Those are rules. But across the board, there are different practices, different customs, different understandings of our world And we need to be open to, we need to do research ahead of time so that we can walk into those circumstances and show respect and honor to their cultures while still holding honor to God. And instead of just acting like we are the better ones, kind of like Laban did. So I hope that this is educational and uplifting in some ways and eye-opening and convicting in others. If you would take a moment and pray with me, let's ask the Lord to guide us in our journeys this week. Dear Lord, I just want to lift up all of these travelers. Sometimes we turn into a Laban where we seek our own wealth, we seek our own selfish desires, and we pray off those around us that you are working through, Lord. Please help us to recognize those moments, to not cause the division and harm and instead lay down our idols and turn to you. And Lord, I ask that you make our hearts more like Jacob, willing to sacrifice and serve, but also willing to follow your leading and to be a witness between us and those around us that cause tension, that cause feuds, that you may be our peace and our guide, and that in all things we may travel for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Christian travelers, I hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. If you did, some of the ways that you can best support us is by leaving a review hitting that subscribe button on your favorite listening platform, and by sharing this episode with a friend, or pointing them to christiantravelers.net for other faith and travel resources, including our upcoming retreat to Punakana. That is January 14th through 17th, and the early bird cutoff is September 25th. I pray that you will be joining us and growing with us because there's so much we can learn from the Lord and so much of this world to explore. It's such an exciting opportunity. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.